In episode 44 of MobyCast, we discuss AWS's launch of DocumentDB and whether or not Mongo should be worried. Welcome to MobyCast, a weekly conversation about containerization, Docker, and modern software deployment. Let's jump right in. Welcome, Chris. It's another episode of MobyCast. Hey, John. Good to be back. Yep. And you'll notice that I didn't mention Rich. He's not with us today. And it's because we just recorded one with him yesterday, and we're doing another one today because of this timely thing that's come up. So the one that we recorded yesterday, those of you listening, you'll hear it next week, because this week we're going to be talking about AWS DocumentDB. Our decision to do this was, it was like, oh, this is so interesting. And we started having a conversation about it. And you know, two minutes into the conversation, we were like, we should do this as a MobyCast. And then we were like, let's do it tomorrow. So here we are. Absolutely. Yeah, it was kind of like, okay, stop talking about this. we got to wait tomorrow on tape. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> save, save it for the tape. <laughs> so uh, yeah, AWS launched DocumentDB with Mongo compatibility this week. Announced January 9th, 2019. And what was your reaction when you saw that, Chris? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, my initial reaction was definitely not a surprise. And the rumor mill has been speculating that this was going to happen for mm-hmm. months now. And, you know, it, it makes a lot of sense just given, you know, what AWS is really strong in. I mean, obviously, they're really strong in knowing how to run and operationalize distributed systems. They've done this for many open source packages, like things like Redis and Memcached and recently Kafka. You know, MongoDB is, is a very, very popular document database. It's basically the, you know, the grandfather of them all for the most part. And, 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 you know, as far as like commercial marketplace goes, so very popular, lots of folks are using it, but if, you know, if you're running inside AWS, it's, it's all on your own, right? There's, you have to do the management of it. So that's why we have document DB AWS looks across the landscape, see that they have quite a few of their customers that are using MongoDB, but they have these problems, right? They're struggling with, you know, how do they get the performance availability out of it that they require how do they just the management of it right like it's that is stuff that customers don't want to have to do it really doesn't it's not a core differentiator for them you know it's it's the undifferentiated heavy lifting Um, we have personal experience with this at kelsis right absolutely yeah so we we are users of of mongodb ourselves and we know very very much the the true the real pain that goes along with managing that so we have mongodb in multiple environments and each one of those environments depending on its availability requirements there's clusters of mongodb and so we have to deal with like creating having replica sets and how do we do backups and more importantly how do we do restores when we need to we have to test and verify that failover works the way that we expect it to and that applications respond accordingly. We have to continually do software updates and make sure that our agents are current and up-to-date. And, and then also it's a it's somewhat of a task for us to go upgrade Mongo versions as well when they're out. So there's a, there's a lot of overhead and maintenance that comes along with our, with our MongoDB. Can nodes. you give me just a little more specificity around our setup? Like, aren't we using it? Are, are we installing it directly on bare metal EC2s or that's not the right term, but just directly onto EC2 instances? Yeah. I mean, we're bare metal EC2 instances is a thing. Um, we're not using I know, that's those. why I caught myself. Yeah. We're, we're using standard, but we are um, using standard EC2 instances. So VMs, 
and we are directly installing MongoDB on those. And so for our replica sets, they're typically their three node clusters. So that means, you know, three EC2s that we've spun up. And on each one of those, we've manually installed the, Mong the MongoDB software. We do use Mongo's monitoring service to kind of help us manage these nodes. So that's MMS. And so there's a there's an agent that gets installed on each each one of those nodes that it then we have to set up the communication path between from our AWS data center out over the internet to MMS so it can see those nodes. And then from a MMS console, we can do things like oh, that's so weird. initiate backups and MMS lives outside of AWS. We have to basically put a hole in the firewall for it. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, it basically, it, yeah, absolutely. So you, you have to, there has to be some way for MMS to connect to it. So, you know, whether that's, you're now private versus public or firewalls or some way of, of providing that connectivity. But MMS is from, is run by Mongo. Um, mm -hmm. And so it's absolutely not inside of VPC and there's no like VPC endpoints for anything like that. So, well, I guess what's weird to me is that MongoDB, they're like, here, here's the binary, go install it wherever you want. But MMS, no, 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 we're keeping that. We're managing that. That's just weird to me. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I, I think it's, it, it goes with the evolution of Mongo. Okay. I'm sure we'll, we'll get into this a bit more as we get into the, this podcast, but. Right. I, I know I'm, I'm kind of cutting away from the outline a little bit, but what I'm doing here is, is I'm just trying to get a sense of what we do today and why we do what we do, because I think understanding that from our real perspective of owning and operating Mon a Mongo cluster or multiple Mongo clusters will help you, dear listener, like understand how powerful this this new thing from AWS could potentially be. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and again, I mean, you know, going back to your original question, like, what was my reaction to the announcement? You know, another way of saying that was like, I was extremely ecstatic. Right? Like, I immediately like started putting together the notes, and I I actually put it on our under our work item, you know, our, our on work management board. system, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, there's there were pivotal cards created just for yeah. like, for this. Like, let's go ahead and start testing this out, right? Like, right. How fast can we get off of our dedicated MongoDB onto DocumentDB, um, right. just so that we don't have to manage it, and I don't have to worry about like, like, is restore going to work? Like, are we take is are the backup jobs running correctly? Like, what is the level of granularity? You know, we'll we'll get into all this as we kind of like talk through some of the features. Before we push forward into the features though, I, do, I still have one more kind of burning question about how we ended up where we are today with you know multiple clusters of Mongo that we're managing ourselves inside AWS. So that last question is, I know there's managed Mongo ser services out there and I think Mongo itself even offers one. So why are we doing it ourselves? Why DIY when those other options probably did exist for us? So yeah, I mean, managed Mongo does indeed exist, and and we'll dive deeper into this too as we go on because it really is kind of sheds an interesting dynamic into the the tension between the companies. But you know why we're not using it today? Probably like two main reasons. One is the fact that you know this decision to use Mongo was was you know quite a while back, right? It's over over two years ago. That's when we started using it. So, you know, Atlas didn't exist at that time, which is okay. MongoDB's managed service. Um, there were other things like MongoHQ. MLab, it's another one. Yep. Mm -hmm. 
and this leads to the, maybe the second reason why we don't do it is that you know those are all outside of AWS. So you basically have to go out over the open internet, right? Yeah. From your servers inside the VPC, your application servers um, that need that data, they're going out over the open internet for that. So it's there's a very real performance and uh, yeah, dependency security. issue. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. So I mean, you can mitigate the security with things like you know just being encryption. smart about like firewalls and yeah encryption and things like that. But it's one more one more hurdle. So to actually have the data co-located inside our own VPC was it's definitely an advantage. Cool. So there was no Atlas, and we want to stay inside AWS perfectly. And anybody argue, making that argument to me, it's like, yep, yep. All right, let's do it. Let's let's fire up our own Mongo's on EC2s. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah, let's let's move forward into this new this new world. Sure. Yeah. So yeah, so as as you said mentioned, you know, DocumentDB was was recently announced. I mean, it, it is fresh, fresh, hot off the presses, January 9th. and you know, what is it? So it, it's a drop-in replacement for MongoDB. This is really interesting, right? Yeah. So it's not, they're not hosting MongoDB, mm-hmm. right? Instead, it's basically, it's wire-level protocol compatible with MongoDB. Mm-hmm. So they say, they specifically say they are, they're emulating the responses that a, a MongoDB client would expect from a MongoDB server. So it's, it's impersonation, Right, and so right. they they look at the the MongoDB API, and that's what they implemented. They they implemented the the Mongo, the Mongo API. So I think it's kind of important just to remember, like this is not hosted Mongo at all. There's no, as far as I know, I mean, there's really probably no Mongo code. Right, um, it's like it's, when Kramer on Seinfeld decided that he could be the movie phone. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, <laughs> that's kind of what this is, right? Like this is. Like okay, what's the API, and we will just go and, and and craft our own implementation of that mimics that and performs that API. So that's that's how they have built it and, and delivered it. And so along with that, it's it is a managed service offered by AWS, and all the kind of great aspects that you would expect from a managed service from AWS applies here. So in areas of scalability, reliability security like all the check marks are here so what's what's kind of interesting is that they they did when they announced this they talked about how the storage layer for this is it's ssd based with 6x replication across three separate az zones Uh, um, zones, right so this to me sounds like this is the exact same storage platform as what like Aurora uses. Yep. And I wouldn't be surprised actually if like it's kind of they've they've done some ref- and Dynamo DB might be doing the same thing as well. Although with Dynamo DB they definitely talk about like three the three X replication, not necessarily the six X. So maybe that's a, but definitely the Aurora storage platform. Like it sounds yeah. like this is the exact same storage that that same technology. They're using it here for for document DB, which and this might be a good time to talk about this as an aside. And there's been just uh, rumors and 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 ponderings on like, well, how do they go implement that? How do they implement this? And I know that you you were looking on on a Reddit thread, and someone was suggesting that their vote was that this is Postgres. They they implemented this on top of Postgres SQL, and I think this is another hint in that puzzle, right? So it's it's probably the Aurora Postgres yeah. flavor, right? Is how they've implemented it. 
Yeah, I'm just looking at that thread now, and and it's you know there's little there are little signatures to that 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 people were pointing out to give it even more credibility. Like identifiers are limited to 63 characters. Hmm. Mm -hmm. The same characters that PostgreSQL limits identifiers to, and a collection size limit of 32 terabytes. Coincidentally, which is the maximum PostgreSQL table size. So, yeah. So think think about like how cool that is about how much existing technology they probably leveraged for this. Oh, I know it's just right. Yeah. Like, I mean, like this is a pretty, pretty major new managed service that they're offering. And, and somebody be, like some team of like pizza size team yes. did it in like a weekend. <laughs> well, maybe not a weekend, but <laughs> yeah, I mean it was it was probably they were probably extremely efficient with this, right? Which yeah. is pretty, pretty interesting and pretty cool. Because I think a lot of these features they got for free, right? So we we talked to so so the reliability, you know, it's designed for ninety nine point nine nine percent availability. So four nines availability. We've talked about the storage layer with the six x replication across three AZs. Database can scale from ten gigabytes all the way up to sixty four terabytes in size. You can have up to fifteen read replicas. So you can scale out quite it to support just a tremendous amount of read traffic in these in these clusters do you know how many how much read traffic a single instance can handle like it sounds like you could basically put whatever you want on this yeah it's up to you i mean they they offer this i think it's uh, you get your choice of six different instance sizes ranging from and these are the database optimized instance families i believe and it, it goes from the instances have starting at 15 gigabytes of RAM up to 488 gigabytes of RAM, <laughs> right? So, I mean, <laughs> I think it would be really hard to find a situation where you like, this is not going to work for you from a performance standpoint, right? right. Like, like, yeah, if you got it to work on Mongo, then you can get it to work in DocumentDB, it feels mm -hmm. like, if not, even more. Yeah. So massive scalability, you know, the backup story here is is awesome. They're they're offering point in time restores with <laughs> second level resolution, right? To any point within the last 35 days. Whoa. Right? Which is awesome, right? And this is exactly what they have in DynamoDB now. And I'm pretty sure like this is the same thing in Aurora as well, right? So Again, this really kind of goes back to this is not so much like document to be doing this. It's the underlying core technology that they're they're leveraging that they just kind of get this for free. Right. So pretty impressive there. And then security wise, great security story with, you know, authentication is supported. And you also have encryption both in transit as well as, as encryption at rest. And so these are just easy checkboxes to do when you go and you know spin up your, your document DB cluster. AWS gets some flack, and I think they deserve it for not having those checked by default, like where you'd have to uncheck them. I think mm -hmm. they should change. They should change that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the default now encryption in transit is by default with document DB and encryption arrest may not be by default, but it's just right there in your face, easy enough just to check sure. it. So yeah. unlike with DynamoDB, DynamoDB encryption at rest is now the default. And it j actually just happens for for everything that's that's hosted there now. It's not just new projects, it's right. If, so oh, good. Yeah. So yeah, just a really impressive new product drop-in replacement for MongoDB. And we've kind of talked about like, well, why did AWS do this? And it's really, they're just listening to their customers. They're giving them what they want. They they see the the broad use of, of MongoDB on, on AWS. It is a lot of pain and hassle to to manage and run those those databases. And so 
hand that work over to AWS and let them have the let them do the management. And that's exactly what this is. Yeah, and it, you know the fact that it's not Mongo, you would worry that maybe it's not as stable, or maybe it's not. Maybe it's like got some barnacles on it that aren't so good that need to be smoothed off, or like you know maybe there's some concerns, right? But there's enough evidence that it's built on top of production quality, you know, highly already used and burned in stuff that the only parts that may be subject to a little bit of like uh, flakiness is just the, just kind of the API, just the interface. Right. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's where the, the code is, right. And that's where the, the bumps and the warts are going to be. Your data is going to be fine. It's just you yes. know, making yeah. sure that it'll yeah. work for you in your yeah. situation. Yeah, it really just comes down to a, you know the fidelity of the API implementation. Mm-hmm. Like, does it do exactly what you know MongoDB is doing? And also, what is the the level of coverage that you have? So they don't have one hundred percent coverage right out of the gate, right? Mm-hmm. Not every single API is implemented, and you know they again they probably looked at like what's the the 99th percentile or then it's probably like maybe there's i don't know like say 300 api calls in general and it's like you know maybe 80 of those represent like 99% of the of the usage right. so that's what they focused on out of the gate but they do say that they're you know obviously they have the telemetry they can see what calls clients are making against the platform and for those things that aren't supported they they can track that stuff and they can use that directly as feedback into okay these are these are the most popular calls that we haven't supported. Let's let's go and implement it. Yeah, yeah. I'm also thinking that even though the API might be the same, you know, there's just things about how databases work that could be a little bit, you know, they could cause some trouble. So, you know, MongoDB, I believe, is largely, you know, people do a lot of eventually consistent type programming with it. So they they expect things not to be there right away if there's some replicas, correct? Yeah, I mean, so um, we've kind of talked about this with with DynamoDB. Same thing with MongoDB. So if you want eventually consistent, it's kind of like the default. If you want strongly consistent, you can do that, but you're going to pay a price. Right. So I'm imagining that some systems, that especially anything that was created with like like leaning heavily on magic timeouts, might break when you switch out for DocumentDB. Like those magic timeouts might not be the right length anymore. Stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, I'm, there could very well like the performance it could be faster get, right, right? Oh, yeah. yeah i mean so so that can cause some problems you you also may have actually like scaffolding code around like failovers like there may be some extra stuff that you had to do yourself in your code to to deal with like just failover cases and now that would you wouldn't need that anymore mm-hmm. so it so, just well, yeah so they, in, there could be there could be some code that you have to update mm-hmm. in order to do the drop in yeah or or perhaps even remove Mm-hmm. Oh, that, you can remove some code. Yes. Cool. So where are we here? Yeah. So with that, maybe we could talk a little bit about go into like just more about like okay, what does this mean? You know, what's Mongo's position in this, and you know, yes. what are they doing in the space and whatnot? So, you know, we've we've talked, we've hinted at it. Like MongoDB does have a hosted service for the MongoDB database. It's called Atlas, and this is actually pretty important to Mongo. Right, it's it's something that they say it's growing three hundred percent annually. I'm not um, surprised, right? Like it's what it's the query, right? It's like mm-hmm. I'm using MongoDB. How do I have that managed? Yeah. Like, what's my managed solution? Oh, look, Atlas, cool. Mm-hmm. Okay, I like that. Yeah. yeah. So it's this last fiscal quarter they reported it accounted for twenty two percent of their revenue. So that's huge, right? That's a quarter, almost a quarter of their revenue 
is coming from Atlas. So this is this is a big important piece of their of their business. And it's um, it's so unsurprising. Did you read the thing, or, or were we talking about this thing the other day? Where I was reading something or watching something that talked about open source code and just sort of where it's come from and the big tech companies' attitudes towards it. And essentially, the thing was saying big tech companies have realized that their competitive advantage is not the source code. It's their ability to operate it at massive scale. And once you can do that, you have like a moat around your company that's pretty unovercomable. And so, yeah, I mean, that like that fact, I think I believe that. Like if you, if you think about like the big tech giants, one of the things that everybody just consistently says about them is like, oh, well, Google stuff, like, they know things that nobody knows because they know how to run a million computers at once or, or 100 million computers at once. Same with AWS. And it's not surprising that Mongo was seeing their ability to do that at scale become the engine of their growth. Yeah, I mean, it's there There has been this, this undercurrent of tension between the open source community and then the folks that are using that technology, specifically like the, the cloud companies like like Google's and Amazon and Microsoft's of the world. So there's been this tension where you know it feels like these cloud companies they're increasingly relying on open source software to add new features right mm-hmm. to their to their offerings, but they're not really contributing back to the projects, right? So it's kind of mm-hmm. like it's, it's it's just taking and not giving. They're just taking and not giving, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And you know you'll hear you hear this referred to as strip mining, yeah. where these these cloud companies are basically just you know coming in and just leveraging that that work that was done by by these other groups to build their businesses, right, and to mm-hmm. to get them new features and whatnot. And like you said. And again, it, it ends up being like when you're in the cloud and you have to run applications and code and infrastructure, it's not the procurement of the software that's the hard part, or even sometimes even the developing of the software. It's really the operationalizing it, right? right. The running of it, right? Yeah. And, just think about hiring people that can do that, that can rack and stack machines all day, and that can think about like where there's going to be, an, where how to deal with little micro outages that happen across systems of a million computers. Like mm-hmm. those are super highly specialized people and you don't just, you know, they're, they're not just easy to hire. So they tend to get sucked into one company and then that company just keeps them forever. And, and they have like a huge advantage having those people, having those, having that skill, having that context all in house. And that is, you know, that's in my mind, that's harder than, developing software for sure like Mm -hmm. like that problem is a harder business problem yeah it's it's very much just reality i mean you take your average engineering team you know say like hey can you go write an application that leverages kafka and uses the kafka api to to you know implement some event-driven you know stream or, or or whatnot part of your application and and you know any engineering team will be able to go and and do that right and implement that but to now actually run that as a service to set it up correctly to have your Kafka clusters and to have monitoring on it to be able to handle failures and be able to just have alarms and monitoring and everything else that goes along with it like that's the hard part right yep and it's also again it's it's this undifferentiated heavy lifting like your customers don't care that you're really good at managing Kafka right 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 so like why spend a whole bunch of time on that? And that's why these, you know, cloud companies are 
you know, so attractive, right? Because it allows you to to not have to focus on those things that you really shouldn't be spending time on. And you focus on what makes you different. Like what is your core competency and have you focus on that? Right. And for the cloud companies, it literally is differentiated heavy heavy lifting. It is mm-hmm. their their mm-hmm. core, you know, competency. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So maybe this is a good time then to talk about like what happened back in October that was kind of definitely related to this whole undercurrent of tension of cloud companies kind of like being accused of basically ripping off open source software, <laughs> right? And so what MongoDB did is they came out with a with a new a new license. And they announced this in last October in October 2018. And it would be effective with the Mongo 4.0 release. They call this, it's called the server-side public license. It's the SSPL. And the intent behind this was basically it says, it, it kind of forces like if anyone offers this as a cloud service, uh, as, a, as a managed service, then any code that they write to help enable that as a managed service, that has to be published as open source itself. Okay. Right. So any any kind of value added software they put on top of Mongo in order to run it as a service, that's now open source. It sounds like um, PPL just with the additional, you know, server type of thing added. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And so this was, you know, definitely, you know, MongoDB's take on like trying to protect themselves, right? Like they're trying to protect Atlas, right? Mm-hmm. They they want they would much prefer to kind of like be the the de facto, like ideally probably like the only one out there. Like if you need managed Mongo, you go to Atlas, right? right? So, you know, I think that was definitely one of the the motivations here. And by having this, it definitely makes it harder, right? For, for folks to do stuff without giving back. And so this is one of the reasons, probably one of the big reasons why DocumentDB is supporting MongoDB 3.6, Mm-hmm. Not for zero because three point six is not covered by this new license. It's only four zero and afterwards. So by mimicking Mongo MongoDB three point six, it appears that SSPL does not apply to DocumentDB right now. Of course, this means like big questions like, okay, well, what happens going forward? Right, like, DocumentDB going to be stuck on Mongo three six forever? That's an open question. I mean. Who knows what's going to happen there? If they want to go to, you know, beyond that, it's either going to be a legal battle where they their position may be like, they may say like, well, we're not using the software, right? We're mimicking the API. And right. so because of that, we're not we're not subject to the SSPL. Right. right? And it, I mean, if you just do the thought experiment too of like, well, what can Mongo do, right? Like, what can they do as they add to their product that would cause people to not want to use, you know, I'm essentially thinking like version four, version 4.1, version 4.2, version five, like they're going to add features and maybe people want those features, but golly, who's better at adding features to software than AWS? Like nobody is. Mm -hmm. So I don't, I can't imagine AWS not being able to kind of keep up with via document DB, like keep up with like, so if they can start to get people over at the 3.6 level, they're going to hang on to those people for sure. And then like, if it becomes an arms race of features, they're going to win it. It'll be interesting to see if if they do become basically a fork. Right. And you know, if that happens, there's going to be a lot of backlash. That would be a pretty big bridge for them to cross. I think for them to say, you know what, we're going to start innovating here. We're going to, we're going to start, 
you know, adding new features that are not part of MongoDB. It's the it's just the stuff that we hear customers asking for. And so now DocumentDB becomes no longer, you know, 100% MongoDB compliant. That's just part of it. And then it extends it, right? And it yeah. becomes something new and something different. I think a superset would be okay, but it's not like becoming incompatible with 3.6 then would be kind of a problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for, for sure it would if it's not compatible. Yeah. But I mean, then you start getting into the, the realm of local. Well, why not just get people onto Dynamo, right? Yeah. That, that's the core platform there. So if you're going to do any kind of innovation, like doesn't it make sense just to do that innovation on DynamoDB instead of DocumentDB? You know, honestly, legacy is like you, AWS knows to meet their customers where they are and their mm-hmm. legacy is where the money is getting created mm-hmm. for companies. It's making money or it's dying. So mm-hmm. that's why legacy exists. So yeah, they're they're just going to the legacy, trying to pull it over. Because I think that they, they did a great job in 2018 of making everybody aware of DynamoDB and then convincing people that, whoa, DynamoDB is pretty hot shit. So like, you know, now new startups are like, oh, we want to stay inside an AWS world totally. And they maybe don't even sniff around Mongo anymore. So AWS kind of, for Blue Sky development, AWS is kind of starting to win that, I wouldn't guess. And so now they're like, all right, let's pull in the legacy. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's, you know, definitely where they're at right now. And and for the, you know, the near future, again, it's going to be like, where do they go from here? Like, are they able to port like MongoDB 4.0 API or are they kind of stuck on 3.6 and it's up to them to, like, right. where do you go from there? But I mean, I can definitely see them, Kind of like saying this is the stake in the ground for getting people to make it easier for people that are on Mongo, and you know we support through three six, and then we're going to provide paths, you know, for people that need more features and want to continue innovating for migrating you to DynamoDB. They have database migration service, and like it's really this is one of those things that's it's a really easy migration to make. Other than I mean, you do have the front end coding, you know, your clients. And updating them, but we'll see. We'll see how it plays out and where this goes from here. It's definitely early days, and we could probably spend many, many, many days kind of like theorizing and guessing like what's going to happen. There was one thing that we talked about that we didn't before that we didn't bring up today that I just want to maybe close with, which is we know for sure that the people that run AWS and the people that run Mongo run in the same circles. They go to the same conferences. They have business meetings together. They know each other. So they have to have talked. And you just know that that's taken place. And so it's like, what happened there? Like, did those business meetings start to fall apart? Is that the reason that AWS didn't just, you know, work with Mongo to bring their own version of a managed service in-house that used real Mongo? Like, what? I, I guess it's just, it's got to be because of Atlas. It's got to be because Mongo's like, no, 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 we got to protect this Atlas thing. And so we just can't let you do that. I can yeah. only imagine. I mean, for me personally, I just don't see any way for them to have a, a, a win-win scenario of, of partnering up, right? Yeah. Like, this is hosted Mongo is such a, a huge strategic part of their business model for, yeah. for MongoDB. So for them to actually like make that transition into AWS and do some sort of revenue sharing just doesn't, I don't see how they, like that's too terribly appealing to Mongo. And then also for Amazon, like I don't see, they don't have any other kind of relationships like that. I like 
why would they, I mean, for the most part, AWS is, I mean, it's still a margin-based business, right? And like you, if you have to go pay licenses or, you know, do a rev, a rev split, like that's going to cut in significantly into your profitability model. So, right. And they could have run just, I could be wrong here, but I think like at least some level of Mongo up to three, six is fully open source. So they could have just been like, well, we're going to do it. We're just doing it. Mm-hmm. But the decision to not do that must have to do with that thing we've talked about already, the 4.0 like difference in license. That mm-hmm. it's like, oh, if you're going to handcuff us on 4.0, we're going to create a way where we're not beholden to your new license scheme. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And- yeah. And I, I think like when whenever AWS did start looking at like hosting Mongo, I'm sure one of the things they looked at was just like, well, what would it take for us to operationalize this? And to do things that we, you know, our customers have come to expect with, you know, point in time restore and mm-hmm. and, and uh, automatic failover and whatnot. And I'm sure they kind of looked at it and said, you know what, like we really want to leverage our core technology that we have, and it w- that'd be a much better way for us to get there than it would be just to host it as it is, right? Yeah. So I'm sure, like this path to go down the the mimicking the API strategy that was set well before the SSPL was announced, right? Oh. They were, that was their, yeah, how did it been, huh? How did it been? So, oh, it, absolutely. It was right. Yeah. So there's no way they developed all that. I mean, I'm sure it was fast, but yeah. it was not that fast. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's kind of interesting to note too. I mean, the, there's very strong rumors and, and basically, you know, people that are familiar with what happened that they do say that, AWS was very, very much planning to announce DocumentDB at reInvent, but it was in mid-October when this SSPL was announced, and that threw enough, you know, confusion into it where they said, no, you know, they they couldn't launch then. I would not be surprised if what they had at that point was MongoDB 4.0 emulation, and what they had to do over the last like six weeks is like scrub that out and, and, and bring it back down to three six. Like I bet you that was what happened over the last six weeks. Wow, that would be wild. Yeah. Anyone from AWS that may be listening, if you wanna send a, a random anonymous message to either confirm or deny, that would be great. Yep. <laughs> and it is kind of interesting too to hear like some of the responses from MongoDB once this was announced, once DocumentDB was announced by AWS. So here's a, a quote from the CEO of MongoDB. I'm not going to try to pronounce uh, his last name. His quote was, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. So uh, it's yes. not surprising that Amazon would try to capitalize on the popularity and momentum of MongoDB. However, developers are savvy enough to distinguish between the real thing and a poor imitation. <laughs> so that to me, like, I'm sorry, that's that's a pretty weak, pretty weak response just to say, hey, you know, th- this is just a, we're the real thing. And anyone else is uh, obviously not good because it's not us. And it's like, but the reality is, is like, well, actually, it's probably is really pretty good, right? And yeah, yeah. it is something to be very, very worried about. So I think this caught them back on their heels a little bit, although they had to have known it was coming. But I think it just doesn't feel like like they thought it through, like what's the position? Yeah, you know, I think they, they probably should have focused on like, we're going to do our best to, to create the best possible database that we can mm-hmm. kind of thing, yeah. instead of instead of getting... You know, digging in on the com- on the competitive front. 
but yeah, I mean, AWS is eating the world and, and I, I kind of love it and kind of worry about it at the same time. I, like that's a whole other philosophical argument or conversation that we could have, but maybe we could leave it with Snowflake. They're coming for you next. <laughs> yes. Yeah, go go public. <laughs> Might have the chance. Well, right on. Thank you so much for that conversation, Chris. It was super fun. Yeah, it was fun. Thanks, John. Well, dear listener, you made it to the end. We appreciate your time and invite you to continue the conversation with us online. This episode, along with show notes and other valuable resources, is available at mobicast.fm forward slash four four. If you have any questions or additional insights, we encourage you to leave us a comment there. Thank you, and we'll see you again next week.